Welcome to Dragon Time! Welcome! Very excited for you all to be here. I am Greg Tito, and on this official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, I'm joined today by... Shelly Mazanoble! Hello, Mazanoble! Hello! How are you? Great. So excited to be here. How are you? Excited to be here on our own show. Yes. An official show. An official one. It is very close to being cold today. Hmm. Interesting. There is a a, a stiff wind blowing. Frosty. (laughs) It is extremely rhymalicious. I think I saw... A snowy owl bear in the evergreens in my backyard. Yeah? Perched way up high. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Come to Icewind Dale. Do you want to play a game with me? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Let me get my scarf. A nice game of chess. No. Mm, Nope. No. That's a war games reference. No, you're not, not picking that one up. Mm. I picked it up. I picked it up. I dusted it off and I said, meh. I no. found it wanting. Yes. Uh, but yes, we are alluding to Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Mating, being available for all of you to peruse and play. Uh, it came out on Tuesday and we are gearing up for D&D celebration to celebrate that launch this yes. weekend. I'm gearing up. Gearing up, I'm I've got super uh, excited. some common magic items as well as the Explorer's Pack uh, on my character, ready to go. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. There will be non-stop action happening at D&D Celebration, including Tell me lots more. of D&D play. You can join in online play, uh, yawningportal.com to, well, actually, you can't sign up because most of the tables have been filled, the yeah. digital tables, that is. Uh, we've got expert dungeon masters from the Adventurers League running tons of content all weekend long, 18th, 19th, and 20th, uh, one-hour sessions on uh, the 18th and the 20th, and then on the 19th, an epic, which is, of course, a D&D game that is played uh, at individual tables, but they all are working towards a meta goal, and we are aiming for it to be the largest concentration of Dungeons and Dragons players in the same instance of the game happening at one time. It looks pretty exciting. I'm feeling like we might get there. Yeah. It's just a feeling. But I I'd feel like we are gonna we are gonna we're gonna make that happen. We're gonna break all the records. Uh, if there are records of yeah. any of those things, uh somebody call and get me a Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> a delicious Guinness. Uh, and uh, the cool part about the Epic is that it's it's all for different time zones. So if you are not uh, in the North American time zones, you can play with as many people in your local area as possible. Uh, also, we are making great strides in recruiting Dungeon Masters to play in different languages. Yes, uh, we are. Over the course of D&D Celebration, uh, which is fantastic. So look for more information of that at dndcelebration2020.com or just go to the dungeonsanddragons.com and follow all the links there for D&D Celebration. There's a ton of information. 
And what if you want to participate in D&D Celebration, but maybe like you don't want to play in a game necessarily? Is there other things you can do? Why, yes, there is, Shelly Moo. My goodness. You can watch tons of Dungeons & Dragons play through Yay. the community, uh, focusing on some subclasses you might find in the upcoming Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, throughout the weekend, we've got an entire schedule up at uh, D&D Celebration 2020.com. Uh, including some really fun games that I'm, I'm I'm excited. Not only that, there's panels. There's panels too. Yes, it, very exciting. A full full schedule from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There is going to be something for you to do to celebrate Dungeons and Dragons and the kickoff of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Exactly. And also, if you do want to play, but maybe you didn't. Uh, could get seats in time or your whole party, you know, can't find a table together. You can still sign up for the Dungeons and Dragons newsletter and get some uh get content. You'd actually have to do that probably immediately because now that I'm thinking about it when this airs. Um well anyway, sign up for that newsletter anyway because you'll get lots of of good information in there. But um if you are already a subscriber, you will have access to play at home content. Right, which is essentially some of the adventures that people will be playing online, but you'll be able to use those and play them in your home. If, you, if you're able to play with your family or uh, a group you're potting with or something like that, that would be a fantastic way to still be a part of the D&D celebration, perhaps while watching all these amazing panels, including uh, a panel with Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford about what's coming up next for Dungeons & Dragons, uh, as well as uh, Ray Winninger and Liz Hsu talking about some of those things. And uh, tons of great stuff from the community, including uh, Daniel Kwan talking about uh, Asian characters and how to represent them in your game. Uh, to our last week's guest, uh, Critical Bard, Omega Jones, talking all about what it's like uh, to live in that Bard class. Lots of good stuff. Lots of great stuff. I can't yeah. wait. Um, all hosted by L. O'Seely Wood. Uh, and so she will be bringing you to all of the uh, amazing content as it's going on. And we forgot, there's one more really fun thing. The Icewind Dale interactive map yes. is open right now. Uh, you can find it at all the links we already talked about at dndcelebration.com. But that is a way for you to explore Icewind Dale digitally. It's got like a kind of a Google map interface where you can zoom in and zoom out, click on all of these nodes, find out some information, maybe solve a few puzzles uh, and be rewarded with uh, some previews of things to come. Oh, interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also some really just some cool things that you're probably just going to want and be excited yeah. that you discovered. Speaking of uh, fun things that I want to discover, our guests today are super cool designers who have, I said cool because it's Icewind Dale, uh, <laughs> who uh, worked on Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Ross Maiden. Uh, Celeste Conowich is returning to the podcast and Ashley Warren uh, will be discussing all of the excitement around that setting as well as uh, what they were able to contribute to it. So I can't wait for that. And uh, we'll be peppering them with all types of questions. And they will actually be part of a panel, too, at D&D Celebration, the How to Become a D&D Designer. Sweet. So I'm going to tune into that one. For sure. Those are always popular topics yeah. uh, when uh, I've been at gaming conventions in the past. Like how to you know, become a game journalist or how to work in the video game industry. And these are great tips for how to develop your skills as a TRPG designer and uh, get the most bang for your buck. Yep. Bow. Bow, bow. 
all that stuff and more coming this weekend, September 18th, 19th, and 20th. D&D Celebration, celebrating the launch of Rime of the Frost Maiden. And uh, I hope everybody uh, pays attention to everything that's going on. We got a few other things coming after that, though. We've got the Curse of Strahd revamped uh, edition coming on October 20th. And I already mentioned Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, but that is dropping in November, November 17th, I believe. Uh, and that includes a whole bunch of subclasses and information for Dungeon Masters to uh, use in, in, in any type of games that are out there. So a huge, a huge update, we might even say. I yes. think we actually did say that. Massive. A massive update. Massive update. I think yeah. we've been tossing that word around. Because it's true. Massive. It's, it's like almost uh, bigger than gargantuan. Is that what massive I, means? I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, on the, the scale of bigness, yeah. <laughs> it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Uh, so mark your calendars for that, and there will be tons of information uh, about upcoming things uh, tossed around at D&D Celebration for that, mm-hmm. uh, for Tasha. So cool yeah. stuff. Speaking of things to discover as well, uh, Mr. Chris Perkins and I talked about uh, a really fun bit of lore in Icewind Dale that I want you all to listen to before we get to our guests. What do you think about that, Shelley? I'm excited. Let's Let's discover. Let's discover. I can see so far into the ice. It's blinding me. Ah, Be careful. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hello. Today on this segment where we talk about little bits of D&D lore for you to use in your Icewind Dale Rime of the Frost Maiden campaign, or just to know because it's fun to know things, we are going to talk about the Reghead Nobads and their place in Icewind Dale and, uh, and, and maybe how you can perhaps play as one. Is that possible in, in mm-hmm. Icewind Dale? Absolutely, yes. Awesome. So uh, Yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, Icewind Dale is a region far to the north, sort of trapped by glaciers and mountains and a, a sea of churning icebergs. And... Um, while it has attracted its fair share of uh, outsiders who have gone on to eke out, you know, life there, it is also home to a long-standing group of wandering nomads, collectively called the Regged. Um, and these uh, people, uh, who are largely human, um, but there are other races that they've sort of brought into their midst. Mm -hmm. They, uh, being true nomads, do not stay in any one place in Icewind Dale for very long. The way that they survive and eke out their living is they follow the reindeer herds. So as the herds naturally migrate from one part of the dale to the next in search of sustenance and shelter, the ragged follow. And the ragged are always very mindful not to deplete the herds uh, to the point of non-existence, because that, of course, would have uh, doomed themselves as well. Uh, but they do live off the herds, and um, this is this is a a harsh, difficult, trying life that they fully embrace. And over time, the number of uh, regged tribes has dwindled. Um, 
in some in part due to uh, herds being wiped out, some in part due to warfare, uh, fighting over herds, fighting for territory, fighting outsiders, fighting monsters, dragons, yeti, giants, orcs, goblins, um, you know, giant walruses, like whatever. There's all <laughs> kinds of things that could threaten your life in Icewind Dale. And uh, as a consequence, there have existed for the past 150 years or so, four ragged tribes, the tribe of the bear, the tribe of the elk, the tribe of the tiger, and the tribe of the wolf. All the others have been wiped out. Mm. And you mentioned that there was other, uh, you know, non-humans who could join these. Does it become a type of thing where, you know, you get initiated into the tribe and become one of them like the, like the Mandalorian? Yeah, very much so. It's, it's one of those things that is just ripe for all kinds of story possibilities. But in order to keep the tribes healthy and hale, um, it, it does well to, to bring in new members. But the question is, where do they come from? And, you know, who are, are these people and why would they want to exist in such a, a terrible, precarious life? Um, but a lot of it is these are people that they rescue. Um, mm. who are maybe trapped out in the elements and become lost or disoriented. It's, uh, it's uh, people that they, um, um, who come in search of uh, something else and then, and then realize that the regeds are, uh, you know, they're, they're like families and you can get a tremendous sense of belonging, being part of it. Uh, particularly if you're strong and can, you know, serve an important function, like you're a good hunter or you're a good trapper or you're, you know, you're good at skinning or something like that, something that the the the, the nomads could really use. Mm-hmm. Or if you're good at storytelling, because I mean, for entertainment, uh, regids they they their camps are small and tight, and they uh, they need ways to pass the time and. They need, you know, people to help raise their children um, and, give, and make them knowledgeable and tell them about all the things uh, that, you know, exist in this world around them. And so if you're, if you're a bard, you would find a, a good life living among a rugged tribe, uh, among rugged nomads and, and, be, you know, be respected for it. That's great. But again, this isn't the life for everybody. It's, uh, it can be kind of meager and tough. How do they, um, you know, uh, provide shelter? Are there are there bases around Icewind Dale, or are there like tents? How, how does it work? They basically take their homes with them. Uh, they they live primarily in tents uh, made out of animal hides and other materials, but they also um, use the the natural surroundings. You know, escarpments, ridges, caves. Uh, they will often sometimes just sleep in the snow, uh, insulated by basically furs like, like sleeping bags, but the snow actually serves as a bulwark or a protection and it also hides them um, mm. so they can't be seen by predators or whatnot. Um, since wood is so scarce, they have to occasionally, they have to carry their wood with them uh, or they have to um, barter with uh, traders for things like whale oil or something. Uh, so, but everything goes with them. They leave nothing behind. 
when they depart. And even though they kind of follow a cycle, an annual cycle, and will trod over the same areas, they never assume that an area is safe enough to leave anything permanent. And of course, um, being sensible, they they avail if they kill a creature, they will avail themselves of all of its parts. They will, by the end of it, if what they do not eat becomes part of the community that they take with them wherever they go, the bones get, you know, whittled down and made into tools or utensils or weapons or what have you. Um, the sinew is used, you know, for for bows and other hunting implements. Everything, everything gets used. That's now the fourth. Each tribe has the tribes are broken up into smaller clans or, or, or families. Um, so they don't travel in a, a huge mob. There are actually s- several groups of the bear tribe wandering, and there are several groups of the elk tribe. And each group has its own chief to sort of guide the, and decide, okay, here's where we're going to make camp. The, 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 the reindeer have paused. They're going to be in this area for the next five days. We're going to camp here for the next five days. And they, they also, these chiefs, are basically the law within their own camp. But then each whole tribe has a, a sovereign leader who is either a king or a queen. And there is one king or queen for each of the four tribes. Uh, that's not exactly true. <laughs> the, the tribe of the wolf does not currently have either a king or a queen. Um, part of the reason is is uh, the wolf tribe is on the verge of extinction. They're they're, they're few in number right now, mm-hmm. and the chieftains cannot and will not appoint uh, a a leader, mostly because they've grown accustomed to their own autonomy. So it's like a splintered not say, kingdom in a exactly. way. Exactly, it's a splintered kingdom. Um, that's not to say that there isn't someone trying. Uh, to assert themselves, uh, but they just haven't succeeded yet. And when you say dwindling in number, how? What does that mean? Are the, is is each tribe have uh, what? How how many people does do they contain? We try to keep that vague so the DMs can customize that for their own group. But it's anywhere from a hundred to a thousand per tribe or per clan? per tribe per tribe per tribe. Okay, so the entirety of the elk tribe might be somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,000. And then uh, how which, many clans are within that about? And that, so uh, in a typical clan, you might get anywhere from about 20 to 50. Okay. All right. So then that means there's, there's several of the smaller chiefs yeah. who then uh, exactly. look up to the, to the leader yeah. for, for those decisions. Currently, the two biggest tribes in Icewind Dale are the elk tribe and the bear tribe. Um, uh, the bear tribe is uh, largely largely because their king is kind of a brute um, in terms of his temperament, uh, very isolationist, and really don't want to have any dealings with any other tribes. And there can often be bitter conflicts, territorial conflicts, whenever the bear tribe gets involved. The elk tribe, of course, is home to one of uh, the Forgotten Realms' great heroes, Wolfgar, um, who was a traveler companion of the drow hero Drissador. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfgar went on, of course, to slay the white dragon, Icing Death, and uh, many, many adventures to come. So 
the elk tribe is probably the best known. And in terms of temperament, the, the tribe you're probably happiest to run into. Because they are more docile, like an social. elk? Yeah. They're more social okay. um, than, than the other tribes. Do they and trade with, the, with ten towns? Occasionally. Uh, now, there is a, I guess that you could call it a bit of a prejudice uh, among the ragged nomads. They view ten towners in general as kind of um, soft and sedentary. Mm, because they don't uh, live their life on the glacier, yes, so they're not exactly they're not, uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, but as as needs warrant, they have been known to trade with ten towners. Uh, all the tribe, all the all the um, the nomads, to some extent, even the ones who really don't like ten towns, may at desperate times feel themselves compelled to trade, um, particularly if if they're confronted with some threat that they cannot handle without some outside assistance, be it, you know, giants coming down from the mountains or a, a predatory dragon who they can't seem to shake. Uh, and it's also, it, that kind of threat has also brought different ragged tribes together, a very rare occurrence, um, but it has been known to happen. And you mentioned trade. Is there any raiding that happens uh, by the ruggeds? Uh, not so much, um, mostly because raids, the ragged nomads are smart enough to know that raids tend to invite future problems. Mm. Um, it also means that there's, there's the risk of losing. There's too great a risk of losing members of the group. Uh, and the last thing you want, uh, particularly if, if times are hard is to, you know, have 20, 25% of your clan wiped out in a raid gone wrong. Um, they've got the ragged, the ragged know how much they need, uh, to survive and it isn't much. And they get that just doing what they've been doing for years. Um, it's very unusual that they would feel they need to steal something from somebody else. Um, you mentioned, you know, how there's some difference in temperament between the tribes. Is there anything else that, you know, makes them more unique? You know, is the bear tribe you know, have, you know, venerate a bear uh, spirit or something like that? There is, uh, there is elements of that. Uh, you will find among the bear tribe that uh, bear, bear skins are worn. They sort of emulate bears. Um, uh, you know, you might think, well, if they worship bears, they wouldn't kill bears, but that, you know, they would actually, you know, if a polar bear threatened them, they'd kill the bear, but then they'd honor the bear mm -hmm. in some other way, you know, um, through, through feasts and stories about, how, how fierce the bear was and uh, they, you know, by eating the bear, they become the bear, that kind of thing. You know, uh, there's, um, uh, there's some of that. We've tried to visually distinguish them by having some of that animal uh, reflected in their, in the, in the furs that they choose to wear elk tribesmen, for instance, will make things out of the antlers. And sometimes actually the, the, the shamans in the group might wear them things like, or make headdresses out of them or stuff like that to kind of reinforce the motif. Mm -hmm. um, now the, the tiger tribe, which is very, very fierce, um, but thankfully small is fairly predatory. So I guess that sort of emulates the tiger mentality and that sort of solitary quality, though not wanting to be part of anyone else's party also lends, leans heavily into that sort of tiger stuff. The queen of the tiger tribe um, is, actually a worshiper of Oral the Frost Maiden. Oh. Um, so uh, that, that says something right there. Um, 
that's was that done to survive? Was that a another kind of? Yeah, it was. Um, it's a. It's sort of a quest of hers to become a chosen of Oriel, mm. and in doing so, hopefully, then gain some of this god's power and be able to uh, raise her her tribe up to become the mightiest uh, in Icewind Dale. So that's kind of like a, a a destiny that she sees for herself. Is that a new? Because it sounds like the redheads in the past have been all about balance and making sure that there was enough yeah. for all. So someone who yeah, wants to be like, I want to be the ruler. That seems that's, that's like new. That and that's, that's a lot in part borne out by the desperation uh, that um, a lot, everyone in Icewind Dale is feeling uh, the fact that uh, the through either through forces they don't understand or through the influence of someone like Aurel the Frostmaiden, uh, it looks like perpetual winter might be Icewind Dale's future in that future to survive, this one individual has basically uh, committed herself uh, to in this direction. Um, and that's that's unique and that's new. So for uh, dungeon masters and players who want to uh, interact with uh, Ruggeds or potentially play one, what, uh, what kind of advice would you give? Uh, you'll want to get Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Uh, <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so, so September fifteenth uh, in stores everywhere. In uh, in Storm King's Thunder years years ago, um, we introduced we sort of introduced uh, the the four leaders of the 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 four tribes and talked about them a little bit. But Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is the first product where we meet them and you can actually interact with them and engage with them and uh, do missions for them or you know what have you and so if you really are interested in in delving more into them this product has a lot more information than we've ever had before um talking about the each sort of group in detail what their campsites are like uh, encounters with the various leaders um and you'll see that the the regged are as as um, wide-ranging in temperament as any group, as any group of humanoids you will ever meet, mm-hmm. um, some are some will come to the heroes and see them as potential saviors or powerful allies or or champions to put an end to this this threat that um, engulfs all of Icewind Dale. Others will see them as a threat. Uh, or as outsiders who are at best not welcome, at worst potentially agents of a power set to destroy them. Interesting. Okay. And it sounds like, you know, if you want to play that, uh, the trope of a dedicated survivalist, like a like a ranger or a druid, uh, they would be perfect. I really like the idea of a bard, though, of a storyteller of... Uh, yeah, and you, you mentioned shaman. Uh, you know what? What kind of classes would would those characters be? in? and I think this? druid druids would be attracted to that. Um, uh, potentially clerics, if your domain or your deity choice was sort of uh, more like a wilderness type deity, like mm-hmm. Sylvanas or Eldath or someone like that, um, that could work out nicely. Obviously, the barbarian class could find a, a ready home in uh, as a uh, as a ragged nomad, no wizards probably, uh, or like you know, yeah. very rare. Unlikely. Um, 
apart from the fact that the rugged life is just kind of hard on those of weak constitution, um, most wizards probably would not be happy trudging every five days through mountains of snow in pursuit of and eating reindeer meat um, constantly. Uh, that that's It would be a highly unusual wizard um, to find themselves there. But maybe a sorcerer or a warlock uh, a sorcerer with a you know dragon blood flowing through their veins. Maybe it's the ice cold blood of a white dragon flowing through their veins. Mm. Or if it's a warlock, maybe you have a pact with um, some uh, supernatural force that's uh, an elder evil trapped under the ice, or 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 some other ancient primal being, like for instance uh, Thrun. This. Mm mysterious elemental entity that is said to be trapped under Icewind Dale. And in fact, there's a, a set of standing stones outside the 10 towns of Dugan's Hole called the 20 Stones of Thrun. You could be a warlock of that power and traveling with the Regeds in the hopes of finding some way to unlock Thrun from its ancient prison. Interesting. So, I mean, you know, definitely the... Uh Higher, higher concentration of the classes we mentioned early on, but you could come up with a, a good story hook for any, you know, D&D class to be a part of this because it is the way of life is probably the most attractive part of it. Even though, yes. as you said, it's harsh, there might be some simplicity there, uh, you know, that is attractive to any character depending on how you uh, put them together. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to sort of sort of establish that your character was has gone through this sort of icy crucible and had their metal tested in this absolutely harsh existence i mean adventuring at that point will seem like a piece of cake <laughs> exactly <laughs> awesome well i can't wait for uh, people to in fact pick up this book and start playing around with making characters uh perhaps as the ruggeds or you know uh, encounter them in some way throughout your adventures very cool thank you for this little tidbit chris how can people um get in touch with you to potentially ask you uh any more questions about what's happening in icewind dale I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Uh, I can't wait to find out more as we delve into what's happening uh, in the frozen north. Tons of fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What a fascinating topic. The Regan Nobads, they are a wonderful addition to the lore of well I guess well, I don't say addition but they're just an aspect of uh, the lore in Icewind Dale that I'm excited for players to explore uh, as they jump into this storyline maybe Agreed. you can even play as one of them why not yeah. you can do anything in Dungeons and Dragons that's what yeah. I've been told you're a barbarian Shelley I am and I'm super ragey <laughs> you watch me like, rage I feel like you're raging a little bit right now <laughs> Was that your your rage groan? Yeah. <laughs> Old lady barbarian. <laughs> I'll get you as oh, soon man. as I get up off this chair. Oh. <laughs> I do feel like that sometimes. I'm gonna Do you feel like you sit more like now being at home? Too much. Yes. I had a standing desk at work and yes. it was so great to be able to uh you know, not feel like I was just sitting on my butt the whole time. So, yeah, I want to. I, I got. I got some carpentry tasks ahead of me to build a, a new standing desk. I'm sure. Are you going to build one? No, but I'm. Well, gonna you talk could just have it. your daughters hold 
one end. Each they each hold one end, and you can just be like higher when you want to stand, and then lower when it's time to sit. We have to I, use that voice. I have pitched that to them many times, and they're all like, "Sure, let's do it." So you know, we'll see. That could be like PE class. They need some PE class. I like yeah. it. There'll be yeah. lots of jumping around uh, while they're doing that. See, that's the thing. They probably wouldn't sit still and then, you Your know. desk would be all wobbly. All of my documents would be out of disarray. <laughs> that would not be good. My digital documents, Disarray. they get shaked out when you, when you shake the computer, right? Like the files are, are in the computer. that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Must access shake computer. I think I need some tech support, so I'm going to call up uh, Ashley Warren and Celeste Conowich and see if they can help. I mean, they seem to know a lot about a lot, so why wouldn't they know about this, too? I think they will. Hello, tech support? Hmm? Welcome, Ashley Warren and Celeste Conowich to Dragon Talk. Hello! Yay! Good. Doing, doing good. <laughs> Excited to be here. Excited to be talking about some frosty business uh, in the middle of all of this heat. <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm. Are you feeling the heat wave uh, here? Both of you are generally in the, the Seattle area, right? No, I am in Reno, Nevada. So oh, probably, what do you know about very heat? Very cold there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, we do have mountains here. So mm. we have the Sierra Nevada Mountains and Lake Tahoe. So we do have a very, you know, alpine landscape, which was fun for Icewind Dale things. But yeah, we've also had lots of smoke here from California and it has been very hot. So I think probably similar to what the rest of the West Coast is experiencing. Yeah, yeah, up here, yeah, where I'm, I'm in the Seattle area, and yeah, it's just hot and and smoky. So hot and smoky, doing, <laughs> doing the best you can. Yeah, we forgot to brand the weather correctly for Icewind Dale mm-hmm. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden's release yeah. this week. Uh, we were going to go for uh, you know day after tomorrow mm-hmm. style mm-hmm. Um, blizzards. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, you know, that would have been nice, but I guess you know it's hard marketing. There's so much to do. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> That we cast fireballs in the sky. I think as well. <laughs> this would have been appropriate for a descent into Avernus. Yes, yes. yes. Avernus. We got to really think about. Oh, I have seen a lot of people say that. Like, oh, why does it smell like Avernus outside? Hot <laughs> <laughs> as Avernus. Yeah, on a scale of one to Avernus, uh, we're we're getting there. <laughs> That makes the existential dread of climate change so much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyable for all. Yeah. <laughs> well. When you uh, are, are feeling too much of the heat, you can cool off with a dip into Icewind Dale. So it is actually appropriately timed. That's right. It's like <laughs> a refreshing go. drink. And you two know everything there is about this book, so tell us everything. Tell us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but no spoilers, though. Uh, Except right. for the spoilers. Except but all the good the spoilers. Stuff. But no spoilers. But truly, you two, you had a huge role in creating this book. What, can you tell us what your roles were in this what did you do? Ashley, you go sure. first. Yeah, I never want to like speak <laughs> over we're, we're someone. We're too polite. Sorry. I know. <laughs> you go first. You go first. Maybe you go first. Your name so. starts with an A. You go first. <laughs> okay. That's fair. I'll take it. Uh, so yeah, Celeste and I both served as, as writers on the writing team alongside some just other incredible writers in our community. And yeah, I feel like our, our whole writing team each contributed, uh, I think like a chapter and some other Uh, encounters throughout. And I mean, with, you know, a book like this, there's always so many parts to it. There's, you know, the main story beats, and then there's all of the, um, you know, the starter adventure content to really get your uh, group 
going in one direction or another. And then, you know, there's all the fun stuff like the creatures and the trinkets and, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I think Celeste and I both contributed bits and pieces I, of all of that, right? Yeah, that I, wrote, I wrote, yeah, no, I wrote three chapters, uh, for this. So, and, uh, kind of all over the place, uh, which is, which is very, very cool. Um, so I, I, I got to have a lot of fun <laughs> in this, in this, uh, book in particular, but yeah, uh, gosh, there were so many cool things. I mean, we, we were on the writing team, like, you know, one of us wrote like a poem that appears like a magical <gasps> poem that Neat. appears in this book and then you know another one of us got to do like the trinket table uh you know that they introduced for every adventure um i kind of focused on uh some of the i, I got to make a cool dungeon uh in this book which is so much fun um but yeah there was just so much to do on this writing team so i feel like we really got to explore a lot of different moving parts uh of making a book and uh and icewind dale which is such an incredible setting on its own with so much history so bringing that to life was just um a very exciting experience were you both uh or had you read um uh, the Crystal Shard or any of the R.A. Salvatore books, uh, you know, leading up to this? Yeah, I uh, I had read them like uh, maybe 10 years before. Like, and when this project, you know, came across, I was like, what? We're going here? Oh my gosh. Uh, and I remember through the whole process, I re-listened to like all of the Salvatore like, oh, series. Smart. So it was just, I had like Victor Bavine, the narrator in my ear as I was listening to these audible books. Uh, just so much so much drist, so much angst mm-hmm. <laughs> in preparation uh, for this project. And then, of course, I um, I had had the books from 4th edition, uh, which was the last time we visited Icewind Dale in uh, Wizards of the Coast. So that was really exciting to get to pull those out. And, you know, I still had my map that was included with that 4E book of 10 towns and everything. So I really got to delve into all of my, my old boxes and bring it all back out to the front. So that was very fun. That's super cool. What yeah, about I'm you, not Ashley? nearly as cool as, as Celeste where <laughs> she's had this long, awesome legacy of playing D&D, but I did read Crystal, Crystal Shard uh, when the project started, and I also read At the Mountains of Madness by Lovecraft, and I, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I did my research, and I actually love Icewind Dale. It's one of my favorite settings just in the Forgotten Realms, so I already knew kind of bits and pieces about it just from other projects that I had worked on and just a general interest in that setting. So um, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I could do that setting justice. And I think that whenever we work on a book like this with a setting that is so kind of classic and beloved, there's this mix of bringing you know, our, our new ideas to it and building upon that lore and creating new lore, but also, you know, honoring all of the lore that's come before. So I wanted to make sure that I could, I could do both, but yeah, it was fun really just like immersing myself in in Icewind Dale for a few months working on that. That's so cool. I, so what, what is it like? Like, what's the process like when you're working on a book with many, many different writers? Like what, what is the, like, do you get assigned certain topics or do you get to pick and choose things? Or like, are you pitched an overall story and then you guys get to fill in the blanks? Like, I really don't know. Like, what is it, what is it like working on, on a book like this? kind of a mix of all those things. I think I, I don't know how, what you think Celeste. I know for our process, we, cause you don't always know who else is working on the book right away. And I, so I think our team was kind of assembled, you know, one person at a time. And then eventually we all kind of found out who else was working on it. And then Chris Perkins had shared with us a kind of a general outline and some other materials about it. And then I think we had like 
we, our writer group came together really quickly because we were all like freaking out and super excited. <laughs> and so like, we all kind of came together organically. I think it was like on Twitter and we started like a Twitter, uh, you know, direct message chat and we we're just like, Oh my God. And then we started talking about like, okay, well this, I think this set, section would be fun for you. And maybe I'll do this section. And then it kind of, kind of happened like that. But the kind of main narrative arc is already, you know, determined. Um, yeah, I don't know, Celeste, do you want to speak to more of that process if I'm remembering all that correctly? Yeah, no, because so, so for this project in particular, I mean, you know, Chris Perkins was the lead writer for this project. So walking in, you know, we we got a, a general, like, this is the story. These are going to be the beats. This is how we're thinking we're going to divide it up. And I remember the very scary email where it's like, here's how we're going to divide it up. Here are the chapters. What do you want to do? And I was like, what do you say to that? Uh, I mean, all of it? Like, I mean, that's not, you can't, nope, there's a team. Um, you know, so <laughs> we did get some say in, you know, the, these sections and we're like, hey, like, Chris, I really want to do this. Like, I, I love Dungeon Crawls. I want to do this. Or like, I, you know, really think I can do these starting adventures. Let me, let me pick this. Uh, so, you know, we, we kind of all talked about it and put in what we wanted for the project. Uh, and then based on that, you know, Chris gave us our assignments. Um, and then we were sort of allowed to, you know, run with the confines of like this this larger story that we had and I mean we I think our experience as a team was very different than perhaps other uh, campaigns or books which I know you know the freelancers typically don't have a lot of interaction through mm -hmm. the process I feel like all the the pieces are very separate and then they get put together you know at the end and changed and modified for flow uh, but for us I mean we all bonded pretty instantly on this mm -hmm. process because we are also, this was our first, you know, big like publication with wizards that we were all mm -hmm. working on. Um, and several of us were, were very new to the writing process. Uh, so we immediately out the door reached out to each other for emotional support and being like, Hey, like I am so excited and so scared. Um, how are you feeling? Am I the only one like, you know, terrified? Uh, but you know, we, we bonded through that. And so for the whole process, we were able to like share drafts back and forth with each other before like actually, you know, sending them to like for peer review or like, you know, big reviews uh, and, you know, check in and be able to thread pieces of the story together across our own individual sections. So I really, feel like we we sort of had the best experience maybe not to brag uh <laughs> with with our freelancing group because it was just so amazing to have the support you know being able to check in with Hannah Carlin and Michaela Ebel and you know just all of us like sharing in this big group thread uh you know we still have that thread going to oh, this cool. day oh yeah um oh yeah and it's called the Valkyries so we're all the Valkyries <laughs> and you know this is like what we do and we just talk about all of our projects and everything it's um Oh, it's wow. an incredible support system we had to get through this. So it that was sound, sort of our experience. Yeah, it sounds like you, uh, like for, for most of these projects, you're right. There isn't like this writer's room type situation where, you know, everybody's in the same, well, we can't do this physically now anyway, but, you know, <laughs> that, like, a, like a TV production where everyone's like bouncing ideas off each other and then someone goes and does some work and then brings it back to the group. It, most TRPG products are not done that way, but it sounds like in some ways, you know, this group of the Valkyries kind of created that, that system uh, for, for this project, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that I can only speak from my own experience, but that was the highlight of working on this book. Like obviously this, the book in general is, is really special and exciting, but it was really getting to work with these other writers who I've admired and, you know, whose work I was a fan of. And so it was really exciting. I feel like we all like kind of 
we're fangirling about each other. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that um, we, we just made it a point to do regular check-ins. We did a few uh, video calls, which of course was a little difficult for Anne Gregerson, one of our writers, because uh, she's in Denmark <laughs> and she's our actual Viking, which was really she had awesome. a lot of late nights. Yes. <laughs> which, I Time mean, zones. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But for the most part, we, we just made it work. And it was, it was so great to just always have this, this little support network. And I, I don't know if I could have done this without everyone. So, and I think it made the book better because we were able to really check in with each other. And plus like when we do get our kind of writing directives for the different sections we worked on, we're, you're not given very much, which is exciting because mm-hmm. it means that you have freedom to really craft the story, knowing the objective in mind. But for some of the even bigger chapters, you're given like three lines. Yeah. And so and the- some of us were like, uh, Chris, we need a little oh, bit more. Information. Whoa. <laughs> what? Do you, what? <laughs> yeah. The, the burden of choice uh, was pretty overwhelming. I think, you know, working from an outline to like, how do we make mm-hmm. this idea? How do we bring this, yeah, like the three description, you know, sentence mm-hmm. on an outline for a chapter. Like, how do you bring that to life? Especially when you know that the audience for this book is going to be huge. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's constantly in the back of your head. Like, you're writing for so many people. Uh, so, yeah, having people to lean on and, and you know, ask questions to and support uh, just in general was was key for this. Do you think when you're writing a, a book like or any of the projects that you work on, like an adventure pro- project, are you writing it with the perspective of the dungeon master? Like, are you thinking like, are you thinking like a dungeon master when you're <laughs> actually writing? I mean, uh, yes and no. I feel like my understanding for writing, you know, game books like this is that the the readership and audience for these particular campaign books is usually the dungeon master versus like another supplement that has, you know, player facing options. And so I tried to write things with the perspective of a dungeon master in mind, but I also, I both DM and play in my home game and I like to read through the campaign books, usually not for spoilers, but um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's something that should maybe tailor to both audiences, but cater to the dungeon masters because the content is there for them to facilitate the story at their table. But I think there's a bit of a balance there. Yeah, I guess when uh, when I design for any product, uh, my goal, especially in fifth edition, this has been an ongoing trend, is to make the content as accessible as possible for anyone at any stage in the game. So that means, you know, writing your box text so it's easy for somebody to read or to listen to and understand what's happening. It's also, you know, writing your adventures to be concise and, you know, maybe not that word count, but maybe the word count you actually need, mm-hmm. uh, I think is a philosophy of design that has been kind of like the modern progression of things. Uh, and so it, it was nice in this book, you know, something that, that came up too at the very beginning was that like for this book, we wanted to write it more in the style of like the the essentials kit the new essentials kit that came out where that information was really like easy to understand and you know took the burden of having to oh my gosh I got mail uh to, <laughs> to, oh my god it's oh fan my gosh. mail the fan mail is pouring uh, in oh my already. gosh um <laughs> So, uh, you know, taking the burden off of anyone who wants to look at this book so they don't have to interpret what's happening before they can run the game. They can just jump right into running the game or, you know, reading or listening uh, to anything that comes up here. So, yeah, I, I love, you know, our focus was to make this easy for both dungeon masters and players or anyone to understand what's happening. That's awesome. What uh, so I, you know, just going off of something you said, Celeste, where uh, you mentioned the essentials kit. That's something I've actually seen 
a lot of reviewers so far of the adventure, you know, specifically call out. So whatever you did is very transferable and understandable to, uh, you know, at least a critic's eye about about that. So I guess my question, and I'll, maybe I'll throw this to you, Ashley, is is what 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 is that quality? What is that essentials kit kind of quality, and how does it, you know, uh, kind of show itself in in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden? Yeah, I think Celeste touched on that a little bit, but I think having just straightforward box text, not really getting too um, prose focused with the box text, it's really there to help evoke the atmosphere of this book. And atmosphere is huge in this book. It's like literally what it's about. And making sure that any sort of like complicated story elements or mechanics are laid out in just a very straightforward way. Like here's kind of the natural you know, procession of how this should uh, be facilitated at your table. Here's how you can adjust this so that you know your your characters don't necessarily get stuck and frustrated. And I know, like in some of the the later chapters, there's like these uh, these these challenges that the characters may encounter. And so writing those was uh, kind of a challenge in how to how to streamline it as as simple as possible for dungeon masters because it should be fun and challenging to play, but not necessarily fun and or not necessarily challenging and frustrating to facilitate as a dungeon master. And that's always. Uh, tricky when you have like, you know, puzzles or things that aren't necessarily about combat or role play and they kind of bring together strategy. And so that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the struggle for any narrative designer, which is fun too, is like, how can I make this kind of abstract concept play out at the table in a way that's, you know, fun and engaging for everyone. So I think that, yeah, it was just a matter of keeping, you know, the prose very simple and descriptive and honing in on the most important elements that a dungeon master needs to know to really have a, a specific scene play out in a, in a fun way. I imagine like this has to be incredibly hard, a, a different type of writing and where you have to actually be, they usually say like when you're writing, like don't edit, but I feel like you kind of have to with this type of writing because I, I've written fiction and it's like, this is my story. So I'm just going to tell you everything that you need to know in the story. But when you're writing an adventure, you want you don't want to tell the whole story because that's up to the players and the dungeon masters to tell, but you still have to give them enough of a story. So how how do you balance that when you're writing it? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 best way to do this, um, I mean, write a lot and then run adventures for people and see how they respond. And if you can, be a player in the game that you wrote and somebody else should DM it and watch how they struggle or don't struggle to run your adventure. Uh, I think it is a great way. I mean, playtesting is so important uh, for for anything. You know, for this project, we we couldn't playtest those pieces. You know, they they did get sent to Wizards and then playtests were done. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was calling back to all of that information. Like, what do I need as a dungeon master? Uh, what are the, what's the bare minimum I need? Okay, make, let me make sure I have that. What's the bare minimum I think other people are going to need? Okay, we should probably have that. And then maybe lean on the side of like, I think this is good, you know, as opposed to adding more, uh, trying to really just hit those basics, like just the needs to know what does it look like? What does it smell like? Mm -hmm. What happens here? What creatures are here? Cool. We've answered that now. Let's go. Um, and something something I really enjoy about this book and kind of the the direction books have been going in for adventures is also sort of lifting the curtain and speaking directly to the dungeon master mm. in the book, um, you know, for tips about how to run this game or, you know, how to to run these scenes in particular. So it's more of an honest 
conversation, which I feel like is easier for people to both relate to and to write to. Because, you know, if you're imagining like what you would say to your friend who's about to like DM this book and then, you know, writing like that. I mean, one of my absolute favorite things I got to write for this book, it's a tiny little section. It's a tiny little section that appears on like page eight, but it's this little sidebar about how to run horror games responsibly. And it's just, it's a direct conversation to, you know, Dungeon Master saying, hey, this book is scary. It's full of a lot of scary things. You need to talk to your players and you need to address, you know, fears and concerns and lines and veils before you ever start. Uh, And so just have that conversation. And the fact that that appeared in the book, it's like, it really is just opening the door to those simple direct conversations uh, and, you know, keeping it in mind and keeping it simple, I think is the the best way to accomplish that being honest and, and open about things. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I, I noticed that sidebar too, as I was flipping through the opening chapters. I was and so, so happy that that got in this book. Yeah. And it's necessary for, especially, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of the themes of isolation and paranoia and horror, as you mentioned, that are in this setting, as you know, that's part of the, the the key selling point of this book is that you know you get to play in this you know this creepy it's, area. It's scary. This whole book is very scary, but uh, very very fun. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a great example of how um, streamed games and uh, podcasts about Dungeons and Dragons play has informed the the design and the way we present to dungeon masters. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about. That could potentially be a negative thing in in the hobby, but I think that this is a perfect example of how it is improving, um, you know, just general play around the table for for everybody. Yeah, yeah, and I like having the more of the conversations about being responsible, you know, and having those those conversations at the table because those, um, I I feel like that's something that's relatively new. I remember I, I haven't been playing D anD D forever, but it's been about almost 15 years. Back in my day, we didn't have those conversations. But, but and there Shelley, was. You're only 27. <laughs> <Is that possible? laughs> oh, I was, yeah, I, I was a child. In a past life. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day. Um, but yeah, we didn't have those conversations. And I do remember that there were, you know, some awkward times around the table where several of us would look at each other like, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you say that? Uh, can, can, yeah. say that? <laughs> can you say that? So it's, it's a- I, I love that you're actually putting that uh, right front and center in, in a huge book. Yeah, I mean, I think something that's, uh, you know, it's an exciting time to be designing for Dungeons & Dragons because we are designing for a huge amount of people who have loved this game and have played this game for so long, but we're also at the same time writing for brand new players and a brand new, literally generations of people who are new to this hobby. So the way that, you know, because now we're designing to, to, to keep fantasy, all the elements there, but to bring it and open it up into a world where it can be safe and fun and wonderful for literally every person. Uh, it's not about excluding anyone or, you know, just catering to some people. Yeah, talking about themes of, of safety and it's it's important to every single person. And some people are learning now what that what that means. Um, you know, and it's it's uncomfortable that people don't want you to be uncomfortable for I guess for a little bit for so long you've had to like, you know, shove shove that down. And it's like, oh, it's part of the game. But the the fact that the conversations are actually being incorporated and actually being had by wizards is is huge. Uh, and I think it's it's incredible to see. Sweet. Um 
you know, I think uh, I you, you guys have had a a, a really good uh, career, uh, you know, of, of designing, creating stuff, and I think uh, you have a, a panel talking about that at D and D Celebration, which I want to get to in a little bit. But before we do, I want to ask for you know people who may be new to the hobby, as you're saying, like what is exciting about Icewind Dale in general and Rhyme of the Frostmaiden in, in particular as to as to why they might want to jump in and play this with their group, say after they've played something in the Essentials Kit or the starter set. What do you think, Ashley? Ooh, uh, there's so much. I mean, Icewind Dale is a really fun environment. It The environment itself becomes the obstacle, which I personally find really exciting about that. It's not just that you have this traditional trajectory of we're going on a quest and there's a boss to defeat and then that's it. It's like there's so many um, other kind of quest lines you can explore. And I think that the themes in this book, you know, about isolation are uh, great for role play. And I think this book really challenges characters to be introspective and make interesting choices, which to me is the most compelling part about writing, you know, RPG content is is getting people to think about those choices and and that's what's really memorable about it. And so I think in in this book it's it's definitely a horror book. It's definitely scary. It's definitely dark, but there's definitely moments of levity too. There's some really funny things in it and just really like sweet and charming and memorable moments as well. And I I I love that the tone really balances that because I think there's something in it for for everyone. But just depending on what kind of role play you enjoy, if you enjoy combat, there's plenty of that. If you enjoy um, exciting and you know uh, role play, that'll really push you know your your um, kind of choices for your characters. There's a lot of that, and there's a lot of interesting social interactions. Even though there you know is this theme of isolation, there's really cool NPCs that you can encounter. The 10 towns as a, as just a locale is really fun because you have so many places to visit and each place has its own uh, like kind of distinct culture. And there's, I think a lot of replayability in this module too. So you can always kind of revisit it in the future. And yeah, it's just, it's just really fun and, and unique. And I think it, it has what has made the other campaign books so exciting, but it also brings uh, some new elements to, to the table, literally. So yeah, I think a lot of different kinds of players will like it. I think you know players who have been playing for a long time will enjoy it, and they'll recognize you know Easter eggs from you know lore from decades past. And I think new players will find it uh, pretty approachable. And I think it, I think it would be a great first campaign for people. It's definitely one that I plan to run for for new new timers. So, yeah. Oh, cool. That's cool. What do you think, Celeste? Uh, if you were to to say, oh, hey, dungeon master, who's just gotten a few sessions under. Under your belt, uh, you know what? What would be exciting about? What would they use to sell this to their players? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Well, what I what I really enjoy is um, because you know with with the campaigns we've had so far, uh, I, I feel like we've we've had a lot of like, um, especially with Waterdeep and like Mad Mage, very like urban and kind of confined settings so far for the campaign books. So Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, feels like the first book that was really made for your rangers and your mm-hmm. druids and your nature loving you know party members because so much of this book is exploring. You know, you do have these little the beacons of civilization here at like ten towns or you know the you know the the Goliath settlements like but they these are like small and like scattered across this landscape and most of the time it's you know it's that human versus nature like you know of of all the plots right there's like human versus human whatever human versus nature is the big one in this book so it's it's constantly dealing with 
um, you know, the themes that come up for wilderness exploration and survival and, you know, dealing with blizzards and avalanches and freezing water. So uh, this really feels like a book that that speaks to the the nature loving players, the survivalists. Um, so I think that's that's sort of what makes it exciting. And then also maybe a little bit easier for dungeon masters to deal with because you're not mm-hmm. going to be running 100 NPCs, you know, every yes. episode like you would, well, you know, mm-hmm. in Waterdeep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you have your check-in points and then a lot of the time it's dealing with the monsters and the environment. So I think that really caters in particular to to folks who might be scared of like having to remember a thousand people's names and you know create personalities, I think this is a is a great book uh, to start off with um, if if you're new to dungeon mastering for that reason. Right, you'd be like, oh man, what was that accent I gave this character four sessions ago? <laughs> Am I going to do it the same? Uh, you should uh, check out my interview with Shelley about how to run all of these different NPCs that. if you do want to do that. But if you're too you're scared. The master uh, of the mastering. Yeah. Yeah. Come you right here. Like, you just seems it seems like you just you guys just make it harder on yourselves being these <laughs> extra creative dungeon masters. Like, look at all my cool NPCs and my voice. Come on. Oh, geez. I need to watch that because I'm running Waterdeep Dragon Heist <laughs> for my home game right now. And whoof, they it's have, an NPC. My players have met some poorly voiced and named <laughs> NPCs. Sorry to my group. Shout out to my group. But um yeah, I mean that's that's what's fun about like a campaign like Dragon Heist, of course, is that it you do have all those um, you know, fun NPCs, but I think that, uh, yeah, I think Celeste nailed it, that the environment is, I find personally easier to run as a dungeon master. It's not because there's, there's no rules and no story. It just like, it, it's just a different type of gameplay, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of, um, uh, you know, out of the abyss, which was the second, mm-hmm. uh, adventure path out of the, out of the gate for, for fifth mm-hmm. edition. But I loved that there was so much about like, you just need water and food and mm-hmm. and to get from point A to point B, and a lot of those qualities are are present here, but they're just not as much uh, demons, I guess. <laughs> well, Less. depends. Yeah, no, no, no. I want to go that far. I mean, I don't want to spoil it. No. <laughs> but there is demons abound. Every campaign has demons. You just have to believe. <laughs> the demons were with us all along. You just have to find them within your own heart. <laughs> There's always demons in my campaign, again, as my home group can attest. I think they're tired of me always picking fiends for them to encounter. Mm-hmm. There's Sorry. Some, I, you know, I don't, baddies. I, there's there's yeah. definitely some real, real sweet devil influences going mm-hmm. on here uh, in this game. So that's that's a lot of fun. Um, there's just so many cool new creatures and things that come up in this book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I've got one yeah. of them behind me. If you can, <gasps> if you can guess, there's a big honker from uh, uh, oh, Kids. Yes. Uh, love that oh, guy, yes. and the fact that uh, it's about 400 pounds. <laughs> so yeah. <old>. Yeah. <laughs> and actually named Big Honker, which big, actually big was a dinosaur <laughs> in Tomb of Annihilation. I feel like uh, he, he's the, the so, return of honker. I, <laughs> you can bet on the dinosaurs when they're in the dinosaur racing in Port Nanzaro. And I'm pretty sure there's one called Big Honker, which I remember I because think you're my right. character freed them. Oh, I was definitely on a free the dinosaurs quest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, maybe that's, we should have put that in Icewind Dale as an Easter egg. <laughs> ah, rats. <laughs> I know, darn. Yeah. So is there like a, you got... I'm I'm looking uh, at these notes about Dino World, Celeste. Oh yes, Dino World. Dino World. Yeah, speaking of the name, oh, speaking Dino of, Flint, hey, of uh, Dino. dinosaurs. Dino, Dino. Dino. 
Dino. Uh, well, there Dino is a character the, in the book the, called Dino the Dino, just to make things more. Really that's what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, Dino World is my uh, my latest publication I put out as one of the, <laughs> the guild adepts. Uh, it's an Eberron adventure uh, that is, well, very similar to a, a beloved movie of mine. Uh, maybe you've heard of Jurassic Park. Um, mm-hmm. But one of... Yeah, no, it's it's pretty good. You should watch it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, I was like, wow, I really love dinosaurs. And uh, you know what they like in Eberron? Dinosaurs. Uh, so I wrote an adventure called Dino World, which basically takes you into the Mornland, which is this very strange, spooky area in Eberron, uh, full of abandoned things. And there is a theme park there that was themed all around dinosaurs uh, that you get to explore and play in and solve some issues there uh so that that's dino world <laughs> uh it was a great deal of fun for me to write um and you know do weird photoshop of like warforged inside of dinosaur suit costumes it's a good time it's everybody awesome. um it's a, a little lighter than Icewind Dale Rhyme yes of the yeah I think maybe okay. it was a palette, palette cleanser. cleanser I was like I was like you know it's uh, the world is pretty scary right now we probably need some levity here so mm-hmm. I, so I published uh, Dino World <laughs> yeah. yeah levity in the form of you know killer attack dinosaurs you know yeah <laughs> I, you know, Greg, you probably remember this, but when the team was first talking about the uh, Rime of the Frost Maiden and we were learning about the story and it was like themes of like isolation and like, (laughs) you know, despair and, you know, and we were all like, oh my God, that's, yeah, paranoia. (laughs) Like, that's crazy. Wow. And then like flash forward a year later. So, I mean, obviously, you worked on this well before we, you know, were in the current environment. But had you uh, got gotten the call to write this adventure, you know, months from now, when hopefully this is all over, let's just say, would you have written anything differently? Like, is is your own experiences now kind of like? Let me tell you about isolation. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I got my my pants that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> Let yeah. me tell you about these totally ugly shorts that I uh, yeah. That would have been a good one. Yeah, like <laughs> the fashion of being in quarantine for six months or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. everyone else wear pants on in the 10 towns, but yeah, I don't worry about it. <laughs> That's what they're known for, like really right. ill-fitting, really? baggy shorts yeah. and yoga pants. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that now, I unfortunately, I feel like we have a much more, uh, a much clearer understanding of isolation in many ways. I think for those of us who have never gone through something like this before, I certainly haven't uh, like really being truly isolated from, you know, the community communities is, is, is rough. And um, yeah, maybe some different elements of that, but I think in general, because Icewind Dale Rambler Frost Maiden is so much about climate change. It's really an allegory for climate change. It's incredibly relevant right now, given the state of the West of the United States and of course other places around the world. So I think in, in that way, a lot of that has been relevant for a few years now. And I know that for me, that was what drew me to the project when Chris Perkins actually, I think he said that phrase in some way. And I was like, oh, wow, like how that's so interesting because with D&D, like everything is about, you know, the choices that we make and and kind of our collective action toward things, which I think is what's really inspiring about D&D is that even if you're not a traditional hero in many 
you know, circumstances, characters are working toward, you know, a, a bigger goal, something that's greater than them. And right now the big threat for us is climate change, you know, around the world. And so I think just keeping that in mind, uh, when I was writing my sections in the book, like that was definitely at the forefront of my mind and uh, continues to be important. So I hope that that'll be a takeaway for people playing this game. I mean, I hope that it's of course fun and, and memorable, but maybe it'll, you know, inspire some other action or, or, or thinking about these other issues that we face. And yeah, so I, I guess it, it's been relevant. Of course, it's relevant now in different ways, given the pandemic. Uh, I think if this book were about more plague related things, that would have been <laughs> less, a lot less fun than I think the book will actually be. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in a few years. We'll yeah. yeah. We'll see what, what <laughs> Chris Perkins is being inspired by right now. I can only imagine. <laughs> Cute dogs and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's Milo <laughs> references throughout. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, both of you have mentioned how, uh, you know, uh, Celeste, you're talking about how you were doing stuff for uh, the Guild of Depths on the Dungeon Master's Guild. And Ashley, of course, you've done uh, great stuff with the Uncaged anthologies uh, that have been up there. Uh, and so... You've had a lot of, uh, you know, growth and experience in writing in this, you know, industry over the last few years. And again, we're talking about this on a panel uh, with you guys uh, uh, during D&D Celebration about how to get into, uh, you know, the line of work that you guys have been doing. So uh, maybe, yeah, you can give us a quick preview of that panel uh, and, uh, you know, talk about what, what it was like getting started and, and, and any, you know, quick advice you might give. And then, of course when we can watch that panel and learn even more. What about you, Celeste? So yeah, let's stick with you. Yeah, uh, so I think my my number one piece of advice I have to people who want to get into writing more, uh, you know, actually monetizing writing adventures and everything, and not even necessarily going to like the full freelance level, is um, is to be good to the folks around you. Um, because honestly, like, you know, we're, we're a very small community and um, reaching out to, to other community members to support them, to, you know, offer friendship, to work together on things, to teach and to grow with each other is the absolute number one piece of advice I can give um, because you cannot do this alone. You can't make these books alone. It just in terms of like the amount of work and like layout and editing and all of these things, all of these elements that go into these books. So get to know the people around you, support the people around you. You know, I, I make money from the DMs Guild and from selling my books and like 50% of that goes back into buying more stuff from other people <laughs> that I know and admire. And, you know, that that's always the way, right? The people who are asking you to support their Patreon are the ones supporting, like, 50 Patreons uh, mm-hmm. out there. So get involved. Um, form friendships. Be kind. Uh, be kind and supportive, especially on social media. It's more important than ever to uh, be responsible and respectful in how you conduct yourself in your business. Um, because the the people around you, they're going to be the ones who open doors for you. Um, and, you know, if you can open doors for others too, then that's that's the strongest thing and the best thing you can do to, to start writing and being a part of this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more with any of that. I, I know just for me personally, I, anytime I feel like I've gotten a great opportunity, I pass on another opportunity to someone else just because I think it's really important that we're always uh, thinking about other people and trying to, as Celeste said, open doors for other people because we're not doing this in a vacuum. We all are kind of in this together. And I'm not, 
I, I'm not a believer in being competitive with my fellow writers. There's always things that we, you know, excel at and there's things that we can always improve improve at. And I think that when we have a great community, like with the Valkyries working on this book, like I wouldn't have wanted to do it without them. It was the experience was so much better and the book is better because of it as well. So I think that getting involved in the community, there's, you know, lots of uh, groups and discord channels and, and people to follow on Twitter and lots of ways to get involved. And in some ways I would just say that there's a lot of ways to kind of just jump in. You can join a collaborative project uh, I know for Uncaged Anthology, a lot of our uh, writers were brand new to writing content and now they're doing amazing things on their own and starting their own anthologies. And there's a lot of, you know, content creator programs. Uh, Dungeon Masters Guild is pretty much the best way to get started with writing D&D content. And you can start small. And actually, in fact, I recommend starting small and yeah. really... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. <laughs> start small. <laughs> yes. Which I think is something that, you know, I think a lot of us have dreams to write, you know, a full book, a full Icewind Dale type book, but that's a lot to do. And most, I mean, these books are not created by one person. They're created by groups of people. And you can see just the list of playtesters in the credits for Icewind Dale. Like there's a lot of people that go into producing you know, these books and names that we don't even see in the books. So it's, you don't, you're not required to make content like that on your own. So start small, uh, have reasonable goals, know that this is a long-term, you know, kind of career change or endeavor. Like you don't need to reach arbitrary milestones of success. It doesn't, none of that matters. You don't have to have the same goals as other people. And yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a great time to start you know, writing D&D content and nothing's really stopping you. I do think that sometimes if you need a little bit of structure, there are communities out there for that, um, including the RPG Writer Workshop, which I run for uh, a bunch of writers, um, some of whom write for D&D, but all sorts of rule sets. So there are people who want to help you get started. So don't, don't be afraid to jump in. I am. Cool. I love, love, love that you, what you are saying, because I think, like when someone is ready to offer advice, we start thinking, okay, so I have to like study this, research this, pay for this class, join this work. And you, you're both just like, be kind, <laughs> get to know your fellow community. But it's so true mm-hmm. because so many, you know, not not just learning from from the other other people in your community, but you know. You don't know who's going to, you know, be working on an anthology and can bring you in or can offer you that experience. And just like reading other people's material and supporting other people in their endeavors. And you're learning from all of that too. So I just it's a really good, good message to to put out there. And I think that you both really excel at, you know, living that truth too. Because, you know, with I, I did want to talk about the RPG writers workshop, um, Ashley, that that you run. And also I know Celeste that you consult you offer consultations um mm-hmm. which is a great thing to do while in quarantine but you know you're you're both very very supportive um to the other community members out there for people who are experienced or people who are just getting started so if we can i would love to you know just dig in a little bit more to the the rpg writer workshop and just what that is and how people can get involved and then also celeste talking a little bit about how you can get a consultation Yeah, sure. So the RPG Writer Workshop is an online learning community where we help people get started with writing tabletop RPG content. We host a Write Your First Adventure workshop twice a year. Our next one's coming up in November. And ultimately, though, we have a community that we work very hard to foster. And our goal is always just to help get people started uh, because 
I think that you you can tell people like, yeah, just jump in, just start, but start what? Like sometimes right. like not good advice. <laughs> and sometimes like, I remember someone told me that when I was trying to learn how to knit and I was like, I literally don't know how to hold the needles. Like so sometimes <laughs> that's not really good advice to just tell people that I think it's well-intended, but I think it's creatives benefit from having a little bit of structure. And the goal with the workshop is always to help people develop a process that works for them. And if you've never really written a full project before, seen something through to completion, because a lot of people have great ideas, but actually getting to the finish line is challenging. And so what we do is we we work to try to introduce them to a process, a process that works for, for me and our other instructors, like what, what's helped us actually get work finished out into the world with the hopes that once people do that, they'll realize, okay, here's what I liked about this and here's what I didn't like. And here's how I'm going to tailor this to my own work because we found that that's empowering and exciting for people when they feel like they've accomplished something and they can actually make it their own because there's no one creative process that works for everyone. And there's also no one way to enter this industry. And I think that when people are at just different phases in their writing careers, like some people need a little bit more, you know, support at first. Some people are like, I don't need this, but I want someone to look at my work in a few months when I have a draft ready. Like there's people of all levels. And so we try our best to really um, foster a, a supportive environment for people at at all stages, but especially folks who feel like they need a little bit more structure and support to get going or don't really know what an adventure should look like when it's finished or, you know, know the basics of, of adventure design. I mean, and I can just attest to our own team, our own writing team for Icewind Dale, like our, everyone who wrote on this book has come from a totally different background, a totally different path. There's no one way to these things. And they're all, they're all great and they're all equal and everyone's you know, at different stages of their journey. So uh, that's kind of the, the main goal of the workshop. And we also offer, you know, other courses on different aspects of uh, adventure design. We have a course on treasure, which is really fun, uh, a marketing course. And, you know, we're working on expanding our course catalog to really, you know, touch on all these different topics that are important for RPG creators. But I say that the community is definitely the best part of the workshop. Um, beyond just the curriculum. And it's something we're always updating based off of the feedback from our community. So hopefully we're, we're one of many resources available for people who, who aspire to work on books like Icewind Dale, if that's one of their goals. Great little that's Valkyries nice. groups all I mean, over. You could have said like, that's a great place to start. But no, you went with the <laughs> be kind part. So. Well, it's true. Cause I don't, and also, like, I don't want, I'm not here to like sell the workshop. I just like, my goal is to like, Here's a resource if you feel like you need it, but we're also, we're not the only learning program. We're not like, I also am still learning so much myself. So it's not that we're a bunch of experts and we're like, our way is the best way. Like really the best advice is to just be nice to people and make friends with people. (laughs) And also do that with like, be earnest about it because people can tell when you're befriending people for, for clout or opportunities. It's, kind of easy to see through that. And so, I mean, also all my best friends now are people I met through D&D. Like it's worth it. I have, I have matching tattoos with people I've met through D&D. Like, I mean, <laughs> Me <too. laughs> yes, right. Like, and I mean, including Celeste is, you know, someone I consider a close friend, like you'll meet, like your life will be better if you really like put your whole heart into it and you'll get opportunities and you'll become a better writer. It's like, it's a win-win all around mm-hmm. to just. Why are we all not kind. writing adventures? Right. <laughs> exactly. Celeste, I think one of another, you know, very important thing in really in any industry, but especially in a creative industry is being able to accept feedback 
Um, which I think you're probably excellent at giving. So giving and receiving feedback is important. But but if people wanted to, to get in, involved or a consultation with you, how would they do that? Yeah, so I uh, I started offering consultations like when I did, you know, make the jump into going full-time freelance. Um, so, you know, in between projects, uh, I found myself was like, okay, well, like, what can I do to, you know, potentially create an income source for myself, but also give back? What skills do I have to offer people? You know, was my my big thing. So I decided to start doing these consultation appointments. So basically through my Ko-Fi or my coffee, Sorry, sorry, everyone. I do that my too. Dino, I, Dino, I, I pronounce it Dino, Ko-Fi Dino, my, every Coffee, time I read Ko-Fi, it. You know, um, <laughs> you can actually go onto my Ko-Fi account and book forty-five minutes of my time for a creative consultation. Uh, and really, whatever you want to talk about is is definitely up to you. I've had uh, people, you know, come to ask me about like how to start a podcast how to market a D&D podcast. Was it I've Greg people, Tito that asked you that? Was it Greg Tito? Yeah, what is secret? <laughs> how playing you, confidentiality. How <laughs> Greg, are you muted, by the way? I think you are muted. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Have I been I muted noticed, this whole time? Yeah, it got awfully quiet. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't asking any questions. I was just listening to this amazing Why uh, is that coming over me? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, my consultations, I've had people send me adventures um, that they've written and we'll go through it together. Or I've had people ask me, how do I get started, uh, you know, in RPGs? Or I've also just had DMs who are maybe in a, a tough spot with their home group. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, my players have gotten me into this dungeon I wasn't expecting and I don't oh, know what to cool. do. And I just don't know what to do. Uh, so I've, you know, I've been all over the map with these consults. And, you know, because when I asked myself what skills that I had to offer, uh, you know, when I was putting this together, I was like, wow, I have learned how to do a lot of things the hard way. And I think what I can offer is helping people not have to learn it the, the hard, miserable way. Because I know for me, like uh, I was at a point in my life very recently, un- until recently, uh, where I really didn't have other people in my life that I could talk to about Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I, I didn't have friends who loved it and played it and I wasn't surrounded by those people. So I would have loved to have, you know, the ear of just another dungeon master or another person like just to help me start a podcast or to help me do any of these things. Uh, So that's why I started those consultations as just a way that people can come at whatever level and just get help, you know, if it's setting up a microphone, because that can be hard. And it is hard to find on the internet, like, what (laughs) microphone should I use for podcasting? You are inundated with just answers and like, it's, and you're not, I don't know, who who do I trust? Um, So, you know, just offering those consultations um, was, was my kind of way of like, making it less hard for people to, to do anything mm-hmm. uh, in this industry. It works. It's such amazing. a great idea. And I want to do one yes. now with you. I'm just on, not even. I know. <laughs> Anytime uh, about, about anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah just head to, head to my coffee. <laughs> Let's book some time. I'm going to call it a Ko-Fi. I always call and it I'm Ko-Fi. Call and it then Dino. somebody said coffee and I was like, oh, because you buy coffees. Mm, I know, but they it. have to be all like clever and crude <laughs> mm-hmm. with their spelling and the hyphen. Uh, oh whatever. boy, oh boy, I'm just doing the best I can. <laughs> Maybe you should do a consult with great. them on on branding. And- yeah, <laughs> yes. excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your branding. Uh- <laughs> 
That's awesome. Well, you uh, both are uh, a wonderful resource, uh, and I'm so glad that you were able to contribute to uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. People will be able to get that now. Uh, it's out there. It's available to play, and uh, hopefully everyone listening can join in the D&D celebration. Uh, well, they'll be able to see you, and you'll learn even more about how to join, join uh, the ranks of being an RPG writer. Yeah, sound like a plan. Uh, we mentioned like we mentioned yeah. you guys uh, uh, and all the stuff uh, you're doing, but w- give me give me some links. Give me some people where can people can go to and find out uh, about all the stuff you've talked about, and maybe just uh, you know uh, see what's happening on your social sphere. Ashley, let's start with you. Sure. So uh, my website is scribemind.com. The word scribe and mind smushed together as one word. Um, so that's where it's the best place to find all, all the various things that I'm working on. Uh, you can visit the RPG Writer Workshop website at rpgwriterworkshop.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ashley and H. Warren, and there's links to other stuff there as well. Um, and I just also wanted to quickly shout out the rest of our writer team for Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, because they really just are so special to both of us. And uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, thanks to, to all of them for their support. And I'm really proud of what we all made together. Um, yeah, that's my little spiel. Yay. <laughs> Love it. What about uh, you, yeah. Celeste? Yeah, uh, so uh, my name is Celeste Conowich. If you didn't catch that, um, you can find you can find everything I do, including my stream schedule, all the podcasts I do, and um, all of the books I have published on my website, celesteconowich.com. Uh, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at cconowich, um, and then you can always, you know, if you want to book a consult, head to uh, coffee.com slash celesteconowich or uh, cconowich. Check on my uh, Twitter page all those links are pinned and everything there and uh also check out venture maidens uh which is an actual play DD fifth edition podcast that i run dm produce and edit uh so you know check that out if you want to see some uh DD in action um we we uh it'll be out by then there's a special venture maiden street for you with a uh, rhyme of the frost maiden coming up so definitely make sure to check that out uh yes Thank you all so much for having me. Busy. Thank you. Busy. Yeah. I've, Thank you to everyone who made this this book possible. Mm-hmm. I know uh, you all on the Wizards team have done so much uh, yes. prepping and marketing and getting this ready. This this has been a dream I've had since I was you know ten years old to write Aww. one of these books. So yeah. I'm just gonna say I remember talking to you about the Venture Maidens. Gosh, was that three years ago? Two years ago? Three, uh, it was a while ago. It was a long time ago. Um. But I, I fondly remember you. I think you had a glass of red wine uh, while you were doing the interview. I think both me and Shelly. I did not yes. while I was doing the interview. I talked about it. I definitely joke, made a joke about a six-pack. Uh, wow, that really but stayed with Greg. I, really, I, oh, wow. I had literally an image of you <laughs> like, doing I, this. So I maybe. didn't have one, but I like that that's how you see me, Greg. Like, <laughs> yes. swirling, like, swirling like a straw, little bit You know, yeah. like straw so sitting there. It's very on brand. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm glad that comes across in my personality. I the love essence. it. Uh, and it's the so cool to see the transition of where you're, you know, where you've come from then. So great stuff. Uh, thanks for coming back. And you two are awesome. Yes. You really are. Thank, thank you, you for everything you. you do for this community. Oh, thank, thank you. For having us. Yes. Thank you for supporting us. <laughs> On Eagle's Wings. Oh, <laughs> 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 on snowy owl bear's wings. Yes, oh, there you go. There we go. Brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It is always enjoyable to speak to such wonderful creators. Uh, I'm so glad they had uh, contributions to this adventure. And uh, they're now experts on being uh, in the frozen north. Yes, and they have such great advice for uh, other people who are interested in breaking into this fine hobby of ours. All right, and you'll be Go able ahead. to find out even more about that at D&D Celebration, right? Yes, absolutely. September 18th, 19th, and 20th, and 21st, and 27th. No, well, we celebrate D&D year-round. That's what I was going to say. This is, you know, an official, official celebration. Um, and I can't wait to see everybody playing games together that whole weekend long. I think it's uh, going to be a galvanizing force for the D&D community. Massive. Massive. All right, everyone. If you want to pay attention to what's happening in the D&D world, well, you got to pay attention to everything happening at D&D Celebration. Of course, uh, you can find out about that at dndcelebration2020.com. Uh, or just go to DungeonsAndDragons.com and follow all the links to the amazing influencers and uh, community members who are participating in panels and games all weekend long. And then you can maybe find out how to grab Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, if that is your ilk. And you'll find more information about upcoming products there, too. Uh, all, of course, follow on social, wizards underscore DND on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, and you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito uh, on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. What about you, Shelly? I'm at Shelly Moo on Instagram and Twitter. Mm. Yeah. Mm, and we're doing lots of posting about Dungeons, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Dragon Talk uh, from there, and so you might see some more clips of us talking to each other on there. I mean, what more could you want? What more could you want? Follow along in the stories or something. Shout out to Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr uh, from Siren Sound for producing this podcast as well as posting some of that fun stuff that you might have seen on Instagram. Thank you, yeah! Lisa. Boom. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Pelham Green and Sean Mayofsky from Wizards for just being awesome. Yes. Super awesome. Woo. Share this episode wherever you can. We want as many people following uh, what's going on with Dungeons and Dragons as well as the interviews we have with community members. And the best way to do that is through word of mouth. So give a little tweet or share uh, a review of what you think of me and Shelly and our meandering conversation about uh, education. (laughs) I don't know if we want people to really do that. All right, don't do that. Share it on a piece of paper, crumble it up, and then throw it in the garbage. And then write a really positive, nice review that you do post wherever you find your podcasts. How about that? All those sounds like plans. I like the idea that someone will crumple it up, but then that will be the thing that's discovered by archaeologists like 300 years from now. Greg and Shelly. Why did people hate them so much? (laughs) 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 What is this meaningless banter they keep talking about? It's inane. Inane banter. Uh, So, Drunky Two-Shoes, what are you planning on doing in your search for Daryl? So I think I, I'm going to get on a boat. Didn't I try to take a boat? You did. You tried to, to, to you were going to steal a boat was your, was your plan. I'm going to do that. Yeah? I want to find a speedy one. Okay. Uh, make me a perception roll. 
I, for the record, I tried to pay for this, and my efforts were rejected. Uh, I rolled a 15. Ooh, okay. So you, uh, you, you were able to find a dinghy before, uh, but you didn't want a dinghy, and you actually spy um, something. You know, you're looking at the, the shore by this uh, town. Most of the boats seem to be spoken for and or not fast enough for you, but you uh, see on the horizon a boat that does look like it's moving quite fast. It's got one uh, really big mast with two sails, and it seems to be tacking in a way that's making a travel pretty fast across the horizon. But it doesn't go to the harbor. Where does it go? You're not exactly sure, uh, but you might be able to make a guess if you roll high on a survival check. Survival? Mm-hmm. How about a one? A one, huh? Uh, you think it went all the way to Waterdeep. Drunky. Yeah. But you also, uh, as being a tabaxi, know that many of your kind in the jungles uh, or shorelines around Chult make their living by um, smuggling goods. And perhaps this boat that you saw is captained by one of your countrymen. I'm going to get in that dinghy and I'm going to chase that boat. Okay. We'll pick it up with you on a dinghy chasing a boat. What's weird about a tall cat in a dinghy chasing a boat? <laughs> I can't wait for you to capsize and go into the water and then have like wet, drunky two shoes, just miserable while, while, while she's uh, pulling on the oars. I think that's going to be fun. That's awful. Why would you wish that upon drunky? I just that image. I want, I want some fan art of unhappy, wet, bedraggled. Uh, Drunky. Someone, someone create that, and then we will, we will share it. Okay. Because it sounds amazing. I'm All right, we'll pick it up it. next time. Episode 45, Dingy. Dingy.